0: headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America, known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, after countless amounts of whining and complaining about just two episodes a month, our friends at DHM Depot have convinced us to deliver a special bonus episode, including the unfortunate news that Boleli has offended Ganesh. Reports of those in charge having no idea what's really going on. Tales of Danielli's MMA tangles. And one of the greatest what-ifs of all time. And now, asking that you and your friends and neighbors band together to replace every member of the House of Representatives, I am a Rich Evers, And my partner in crime, teacher, fighter, author, poet, An all-around swell guy with a fantastic accent, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go.
1: Welcome back, everybody. There's been a lot of whining on the internet that they only get two doses of the Drunken Taoist a month. And there's been a lot of aching, and people need a little more. Well, guess what, everybody? It's Christmas in February. This is the secret bonus episode of the Drunken Dallas, brought to you by our friends and neighbors at the scientifically proven DHM Depot, not to be confused with the DMT Depot, (laughs) which is a whole different thing. Don't be going there. This is DHM Depot, has presented a uh, quite the interesting uh, invitation for us. And to tell you more about
2: why they are doing this, it's Daniele Bullelli. Yeah, man, these guys uh, decided to give you all a gift. Basically, they decided to sponsor a bonus episode. So you guys get a freebie as an extra. They get a little publicity. So we're not going to do any of our usual other stuff. No Amazon, no donations, no other, you know, this is just a special one-time thing. So we'll give the good folks at DHMDepot.com a little bit of attention for two minutes. And then you guys get your bonus episode. So here we go. One is this is actually oddly apropos for something called the drunken Taoist because it's perfect, man. Exactly. I was gonna do my
1: reenactment if you like. Here and let, let me give you a taste of <coughs> them. Oh, Bolatti. It's uh, it's the second day of the year, and oh, my head. Uh, a, a few too many Scotch mists at midnight. I'm afraid. Oh, the pain. If only, if only there was something to help alleviate
2: don't worry my good man there he is <laughs> yeah because uh appropriately for the drug taoist dhmdippo.com what they what they sell us is uh well since i screw up everybody's name let's be screw up the full extent of the name of what they sell as dhm stands for dihydromyricetin something close to that that
1: was very good
2: DHM is basically active ingredient found in this plant called Ovenia dulcis, which has been used for centuries in Chinese traditional medicine as uh, essentially as a hangover remedy. And uh, so, dealing with alcohol and you drink a bit too much, you take this and it helps out. You're gonna sober up quicker, basically. You don't wanna do, you know, don't wanna take chances where it's like, I'm gonna drink a ton and then take three pills and I can just get on the road right now. Yeah, no, that's not the idea. That's not what we mean by sober up quicker. But it means, you know, you don't get the headache as much, you don't get all the other stuff. And uh, all the stuff that I'm gonna tell you in this next minute, don't take it on faith. Uh, one of the cool things that these guys do is that if you don't like it, if it doesn't work for you, you get your money back so it doesn't get any easier than that you know, you try it, you drink too much you want to try it, it doesn't work you get your money back. so now, It enough.
1: is more preventative, though. You're supposed to toss a couple of these back before you get to the drinking, aren't you? Not necessarily. So like, you can go both ways. Yeah,
2: I wouldn't recommend the before because then it takes more alcohol to get buzzed. Oh. And if your goal is to get the big buzz, then that's not the idea. If you want to enjoy social drinking without getting too buzz, then yes, you want to take it before. If you want to get wildly drunk, but then without as... 24 hours of pain afterwards, (laughs) then uh, you go afterwards. So yeah, you have options in that regard how you want to go about it. And um, there's some evidence even indicating that it's reduced damage caused by alcohol to the liver, which definitely that's a big plus. There's a ton of scientific studies for you guys if you want to check it out, backing that this is not some, you know, snake oil, voodoo medicine type of stuff, but is uh, there's some serious backing for it. Not only in Chinese traditional medicine, but, you know, there have been some pretty hardcore science done on it. And, uh, and of course, when you go to, um, to their website, to dhmdepot.com, you can find a lot of these, uh, you know, all the questions that you may have. There's a lot of Q&A there to deal with that. Um, what else do we want to say about this Uh, there are no the beauty of it is no negative side effects you know there's nothing It's not like even freaking aspirin that you take and if you are particularly sensitive you can get negative side effect you got none here so the worst that can happen to you is that it doesn't work and then you're like shit I still have to deal with this hangover and that's it (laughs) but then again you get your money back and it's like no loss uh, the best is that you don't have to deal with the aftermath and you just got to a fund on night before and that's it. They sell some samples for pretty cheap. So if the money back guarantee is not enough to tempt you, the cheap price also helps. And, uh, you know, you can get the dosages and how many drinks, how much they suggest you to take. You can get all that info on their website. But uh, and last but not least, they offer free shipping anywhere in the US. So If you drink, if you ever drink, this is a good deal. Uh, Of course, if you stay away from alcohol like the plague, then probably not, but...
1: And if you know, I I don't know about you, but I've found my my bounce back from drinking uh, has become a longer and longer process as I grow longer and longer in the tooth. Ish, that's not fun. I mean, there was a day in my 20s where, you know, just refresh it with a
2: drink from the night before and head right on your merry way, and I can't even imagine... No, in fact, that madness. That's the beauty of this is that we are gonna be some of the first guinea pigs on this because obviously we have the curiosity of like, really? Let's let's go for it. Let's, let's try. Let's get drunk and find out. Now, for you guys, if you wanna support these guys, we're nice enough to have um, sponsored this episode. There's a discount code for you guys. Drunk all capital letters, D-R-U-N-K-T-A-O, T-A-O. You got a ten percent discount. So. Everybody wins. I love this thing. This was a great idea they had. I'm glad it works out. I'm worried about the people making menudo. They may be upset with
1: this. This could... No more intestines the next morning.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah, I'm... It's
1: a good (laughs) trade-off. Happy drinking. Don't drink and drive. Let's see if this is enough. Well, let's give it a spin. Okay. All right, everybody.
2: It's time for the super secret episode rant of the day. Indeed. And um, a rant of the day begins with the realization, the sad realization that I believe I must have offended Ganesh. Uh Uh-oh. Which is very sad because Ganesh with his elephant head is one of my favorite gods. Um, Isabella watches Ganesh. Ganesh cartoons translated from Hindi into English, thanks to the wonders of YouTube, in which Ganesh uh, is basically Superman and you know beats the bad guys up and all of this stuff. There's some pretty cool stuff out there. That's awesome. And um, but why did I offend Ganesh? Well, I don't know. I mean, no big guy with an elephant head came to tell me that he's displeased with me. But I'm looking at the results and I'm beginning to think that something here is off because Ganesh is one of the gods that is in charge of open. He's the guardian of the doors, meaning he can open doors or close doors in your face. He's the the one that you appeal to for success in certain ventures and again can really be nice to you and so yeah when i say that i have issues with people in charge of opening doors i don't mean uh, hushers i mean you know as in facilitators in a bunch of environments and i guess they are ganesha representatives because what happens is people in charge of opening doors again not hushers but the other ones universally hate me and i've seen it on such a regular basis if we talk about books, the publishing world, you know, I've had some, like, I'm very happy with the guys at DC Info and the Redweiser books. Those guys are awesome. But, you know, it's been a very long, complicated journey and still agents universally hate me. Publishers don't seem to be particularly fond of me. Uh, the same thing apply to just about every other freaking field I can think of. But, you know, even in publishing, which, you know, by now I've done three books. I'm like, oh, successful then, right? No, it's crazy. It's like, back before I had offended Ganesh, my first book was easy to publish. It was a fairly it wore called Miraculously and I thought, hell, if this is the first book it's going to be so much easier once I have a book that actually did sell fairly decently huh, it's going to be a walk in the park I'm going to have contracts and this and that and the other my own publisher, the one that actually sold a bunch of copies that I made him a ton of money decided when I pitched him my second book, I was like, eh Thanks for suggesting that, but no, not interested. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, I was, I had no, nobody knew who the hell I was. I gave you a book with a very favorable contract to you, not to me, made you a bunch of money. Now I have something that I have a bigger audience. It's a popular topic. This is going to be our religion and all of that. And you What the hell? What happened? And again, I think I pissed off Ganesh. When I tried, you know, even with originally with this info, when I first uh, heard about the whole thing, you know, he had read uh, my first book, loved it, was just saying now he was hoping to work with me. Through some random coincidence, a friend had um, mentioned, oh, I know him, let uh, you know, you, you can contact him. And even he, after I pitched, was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of want to work with you, but I don't know, let's think about it. And so, I mean, that's how it is with slam dunk things, with things that should work. Now, every, every single time I get stuff done, then it always works out when it's between me And the people who are going to either read or whatever, the so-called consumers, which I think is a horrible word because I don't really see it as consumption. But the problem is the people in between who have to give the thumb up and uh, give the green light to a project. Our friends, the gatekeepers. They hate me with a passion and again that's why I think I must have pissed off Ganesh in some way what did I do to offend the pure elephant god I like him we're even gonna put him on the next Drunken Taoist t-shirt he's gonna be there so I'm hoping to redeem myself in this fashion because this is bugging me, man. Now the problem about gatekeepers. No, sorry, go ahead. You're no, jumping. I'm just on wondering. Something. What uh, are you aware
1: of? Something you did in your past? Did you did you leave the seat up on the toilet a lot? Were there doors left open that should have been shut? Were you somehow negligent in your doorkeeping...
2: Capacities? I do not know. I am. That's why I'm appealing to Ganesh to show me the how I can redeem myself, and I'm hoping that the T-shirt will do it. We'll see.
1: I hope so, because I cannot believe how much you've just opened my eyes. You know, I do have a secret superpower.
2: Do tell, please. I,
1: I have the uncanny capacity to make places closed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wearing competition there, but yes. So we need to do some ritual for Ganesh, yeah. offer him. Thirty Virgins or something. I don't know what Ganesh is into. We'll find out what he's into. I like the purple one better than the white one. Personally. Yeah, we'll, we'll go wherever he wants to go. But the thing about the whole gatekeeper culture is this, that they used to be the power, they used to be real powerful figures right the publishing world editors and agents ruled it they still do to some degree and yet that's becoming less and less the music world you know the big record labels they were the ones who make your career or kill your career the newspaper you know the editor likes you or doesn't you have a career and you have a job or you don't you know so the gatekeeper angering the gatekeeper a generation or two ago meant you're done there, you're going to go nowhere. So if you offended Ganesh back then, you'd be completely screwed. And the reality is that the gatekeeper don't fucking know what's going to work. You know, Their job is to gamble on what will sell and what will not. And in just about every other major scene that ever got done, when you hear about how many rejections they went through, it shows that the people in charge of figuring out what's going to sell and what's not have no idea. You know, freaking Harry Potter. How many, how many publishing company and agents turned him down? And think about all those guys, by the way, who now go right now I would be in a mansion with five million dollars that I said yes to that project. And uh, but I didn't think he was gonna sell. You know, so they're so they are playing a gamble. They are playing a lottery. They are desperate to justify their own existence, and they have to make shit up to say for why they say yes to one thing and not to another, even though more often than not, the rationale is shady to say the least, if there is, it really boils down to how they woke up in, in what mood they woke up and how they threw the dice because that's about as scientific as that now if you are into this game, you understand that you're playing the lottery uh, <laughs> just the odds are possibly worse and the payoff is less, but other than that, you're playing the lottery, you know, it's like trying to publish trying to do TV, trying to do entertainment, trying to do music, trying to do any of those things, is you're in a lottery realm. And again, buying lottery tickets may be more worth it. Who knows? But even even not in the entertainment industry, even in other departments, like I remember even... Well, let's not even go into academia because then you really got a rant out of me. But <laughs> I remember in one example, I remember this one um, professor of uh, history of religions that back at the time I, had, I was thinking of putting together a course to teach about history of religions. And I put together a syllabus and I showed it to him. And he was trying to be nice he was like <clears throat> i like your ideas it's all very good now clearly you know that there's no way you can ever teach this course because students will not get anything out of it you're trying to cover too much stuff you're doing this general introduction to all major religions in a semester you need a semester on each religion for it to make any sense whatsoever so you know why don't you focus on just do christianity and maybe islam maybe one more and that's your semester forget touching on anything more than that and i'm like you know of course to his face i told him oh thank you for your precious feedback that's really important and great and you know i turned around and said fuck it i'm gonna do it anyway i just don't need his approval so luckily i can do it i can bypass in this case but had he been the guardian at the door It would have never gotten done because it's like, no, you know, it lacks depth. uh, It cannot be taught in college, blah, 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 all of that.
1: Or if it went corporate style, he
2: would have taken your idea, taken it upstairs to the next cat, sold it as his own and taken all the credit for it. But that's assuming that they are smart. And my problem with gatekeepers is that 90% of them are not smart. They don't fucking know what they are doing. In order to steal, you need to be good at it. (laughs) I don't even think these guys know how to do that. That's why in this case, you know, the same I always get a kick when I teach history of religions every semester now. And I always tell my students, you know, when I first pitched this course, this is what I was told because, you know, the reality is that students love to have a general introduction to history of religion. And they are most college courses, six months after the fact, people don't remember about 97 percent of the material. Okay, it's just what you're going to retain years down the road is a tiny fraction of what you went over in class. So to a lot of degrees, particularly for lower division kind of stuff, you you want a cool introductory thing that scans the surface, that's a bird's eye view, that give you little beautiful tidbits that you can keep and you will remember. You don't need to go that deep because the reality is nobody will remember it anyway. So why are you going killing the fun by going way, way deeper and more detailed when you can keep it more fun, keep it more lively, keep it at a level that people can actually retain. So in any case, that's my issue with that dude. But the bigger point is, unlike in academia, where that's not going to happen anytime soon, in the other department, in the entertainment industry in particular, and in a few others as well, those guys are the dinosaurs. They are slowly fading away. Because the reality is that there are new markets that 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been unthinkable, would have made no sense. And now certain technologies are beginning to cut out the middleman completely. Uh, look at what we're doing right now, podcasting. You know, who did we have to ask ask permission to to start recording the Drunken Taoist podcast? Nobody. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because Edwin... Had we had to sit down with somebody to give us the time up, we would have come up and said, you know, we want to do this podcast about, well, everything, you know, and it's just we're going to play with all these topics, and it's really cool, and, blah, 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 and it's like... I don't well, see how we... I, that makes me any money. Why don't you boys just move along? Yeah, we like your enthusiasm, but it needs to be more structured. It needs to be clearly more defined. It needs to fit in an iTunes category. We need to do some market research into which demographic... That would have been a thing. It would have gone nowhere. I like
1: like how difficult our international marketing went. Exactly. To get all those permissions to go to Australia, to India, to Sri Lanka, to all these crazy places. And hello to all of you out there. Um, It is a new day, man. It's amazing.
2: Hooked up some mics, put it on iTunes. Boom. Get a whole, and that's the beauty of it. Again, no middleman. Straight for people who want to listen to this stuff, people who make this stuff. Nothing in between. Uh, you write as an email you want to talk about something we jump on it we don't need to go through anybody so that technology is beautiful because it's getting rid of the gatekeepers and uh, you know you still it's not a piece of cake in the sense that because everybody's putting stuff out there because it's becoming a lot easier People need to have a reason to listen to you. Why would they find out that maybe you have written the best book in the world or you have the greatest podcast in the world, but if nobody knows about it, it doesn't do you much good. You know, you reach three people who really love it. They tell six friends who tell three, yeah, 20 people later you're done, you know, because that's... So obviously there's a bit of... mm, Marketing is a bad word, but not marketing in a... Marketing in the sense of people knowing what they are doing this stuff and why should they care. So, there's that element, but you don't need to cast a net that reaches, uh, you know, it's not broadcasting anymore. It's what mm-hmm. Dan Carlin referred to as narrow casting. You know, you, if you get 10,000 people to listen to your stuff, you're doing great. If you get, you know. So, that's one of the aspects that I love. And this is why we are eternally in debt to people like Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell, who would tremendously help uh, let people know about what we do you know otherwise again we could have the exact same conversation and five people who listen and you know if, when we and if your mama is sick one day we would lose half of the audience right there because uh, she f- so and again it would still be fun It would be great It would be all good enjoyable things by the way Mm, greetings to mama of Mr. Richievers. That's always a plus. She's out there, you know, you think y'all give me hassle. Good Lord. <laughs> so there's that. And that's why, you know, million thanks to the guys who put us on the map yes. in that regard, because those are people who helped us tremendously. Um, So maybe we didn't piss off Ganesh completely, because to some degree, they may not be the guardians of the door in a traditional sense, but they definitely are accomplices who help push the door open in that regard. And they definitely know the bodyguards. Yes. So there's, I don't know who the god of the bodyguards is, but we like it. And in that sense, that's why I love this new system, whether it is going to be books are going to go that route, you know, publishers going to start matter less and less as time goes by, as there's going to be this more direct interaction between writers and um, them trying to find an audience. But then the audience, as long as they like it, they're going to jump in and buy stuff. Uh, musicians is already halfway there with live events, podcasting it doesn't get any more obvious of an example of something where the middleman never even existed to begin with is a form of communication where he was born without a middleman, which is amazing in and of itself, you get that's why every time every time you guys do the things that help us stay on You know, every time you tell somebody else about our podcast, every time you uh, review us on iTunes or buy stuff through our Amazon link or every donation you give to the podcast is a middle finger to the industry is a nice middle finger to the traditional dinosaur like industry that has kept way of like we control what get produced and what who can consume it and why that word is gladly disappearing and uh you know, that's why your support is huge because it empowers us and it helps us free ourselves from the tyranny of the evil guardians of the doors. But the fact that we are moving into a world where those kind of people, and again, I, I don't mean uh, I don't mean any personal offense, because there have been very, 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 very few and far between. But there has been the occasional agent that I've met who's a really cool person. Uh, the, I met a nice publicist one time. Yeah, well for uh, Matt Staggs who helped me yes. was awesome he was a god, absolutely Gary Badley also at uh, info helped me tremendously, John Johnson you know, I've had I've met people who are really cool, who have been really nice to me, who have helped me and who are good human beings, so I'm not saying whoever is doing that thing, they're all a bunch of not at all, you know, it's like any other job, and actually can be a fun job if you do it right, the problem is as in most job, ninety plus percent of people don't do it right, and in this particular field, possibly the percentage goes even higher. So the thing is, the fact that that type of category is category or category in English? Category,
1: but I've been liking category, so I wasn't <laughs> going to say anything that <laughs> would that would diminish your sovereignty. <laughs> Screw you!
2: Did I say that right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I good. I got you, that one. Good. Uh, <laughs> the fact that that type of the people in charge of those words are seeing their empire shrink by the second and greater power goes to the creators and to the people who want to listen, to uh, read, to watch certain things is making me tremendously happy. And the day when that connection gets even tighter can come soon enough because, again, the guardians of the doors still freaking hate me. So please, Ganesh, while waiting for the world to change in that direction, as it's already changing, but in the meantime, if I can please, please perform some ritual to your liking, and you can start opening a few more doors, I would be eternally grateful.
1: It's funny, I was looking at the numbers from TV ratings, Mm -hmm. because kind of the half-mid-season just started Mm post-Christmas, and... I don't know these exactly, but it's very close. Uh, the Good Wife is a very popular show. Uh-huh. But even that, you know, is like 12 million people watching it. Right. Um, Downton Abbey, the, the PBS show, it started a brand new season. 10 million people. Right. Now, these numbers, when a shitty episode of The Golden Girls was getting 35 million people 20 years ago. Absolutely. It's, and that would have been like 30-something place show. 'Cause there are more choices. Yeah. It's simple the more choices have all been shattered and splintered and the Internet has just taken that and smashed it into little atomic particles yeah. of possibilities for everyone. So yeah. it is yeah. really right. exciting. I don't know, it all kind of plays into the hand of which do we want at the end of the day? Do we want three giant corporations? And here I go again. Sorry. Sorry folks, but uh I'd rather live in a world where there were 50,000 small little companies owned by a bunch of different people right. versus uh, a place ruled by three or four folks that have no interest in anything than squeezing us harder, feeding us shit,
2: and um, destroying the Earth. Right. I mean, it's, it boils down to more choices, right? More choice is never a bad thing. When did we get confused in this country to um,
1: the hate it is for our freedom and all that sort of madness that goes along with that? I mean, how can you... I love freedom, but you can't smoke a joint here.
2: Yeah, of course. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the I love small government as long as uh, it's small in the stuff that I want. it small on, but I want huge government when it comes to prohibiting the stuff that I don't like. On because everybody else should follow my lead, and that's what freedom is all about. And say, like, huh? Sorry, what? I don't think they know what freedom means. Anyway, wow. I'm with you as usual. But yeah, man. So the. Yeah, I went on a tangent for no reason. I think
1: we can just bang the gong right there.
2: Boom.
0: I have a dream today,
2: <laughs> and now we cross the Ethereal plane
1: for a visit into Belali's dream time. The haunting, ethereal music can only mean one thing. It's, it's. I have a dream time, as as Martin Luther King just told us gnome update of any kind no none whatsoever all
2: right well, the, well gnome this step, was... the gnome is no more yeah exactly it was on vacation or something oh, it's, uh, it was the holidays no this was it's a dream to a point meaning it was a dream but it was uh some com- somewhat relieving stuff that i had been through specifically i don't know why the hell now what was the connection but i started getting all these images and memories and sort of relieving it in some way of this trip that I took to Mexico when I was uh, 11 years old with my mom. And um, that was an interesting one. And some of the images in itself, they were like, I was remembering all this stuff and I'm like, no way, that happened? That was crazy. I mean, one of the things I remember was being in this um, place called Tupalenque in the Yucatan and um, place in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't in town, it was outside of town in the jungle. There's just a restaurant some cabins and that's it. And then there's the jungle and there's uh, this lake and the river that goes through it and all of that. But you're really in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I remember talking because I mean Italian to Spanish, I could understand just about everything, especially after a few days there. Is like so I could, I could get around and chat with people and stuff. And I remember talking with this guy who was uh, a waiter in the, um, in the only place there was there and there's one restaurant and he was telling me how, about. Ten hours before his shift would begin at night, way kind of started early in the morning, he would go out in the jungle, take these crazy hallucinogenics that he knew where to find them. I forget what it was, if it was mushrooms or what, but in any case, he would take those, then put his goggles on, jump into the lake, and then spend a bunch of time, he say, swimming with sirens and having all this, like mermaids everywhere and uh, all these very wild underwater visions that he was having while and you know he hadn't died surprisingly enough he hadn't managed to drown himself chasing some mermaid down the wrong path into
1: a cave in the water
2: yeah hi I'm Aubrey Marcus I'll be your waiter tonight Um. (laughs) but yeah he was awesome he looked like uh, he was having a good time and um, that was the one time too by the way in that place where I actually saw a jaguar live in the jungle that was because they're not that easy to you know they're not around no, that much. they're nocturnal and they're definitely not coming to hang out with humans yeah no he was just hanging out in a corner in the jungle minding his business i saw him from quite afar and i quickly turned around because i was like shit that's a big cat that's yeah i'm not going down that path and that was reality that was reality yeah that's kind of what i was dreaming but this is all based on stuff that actually really happened and um, but the whole trip, I mean, there are so many of these weird ass episodes. I mean, just the way it started, like I remember the, the first night in Mexico we arrive, you know, the plane arrived kind of late is late at night. You don't want to start looking for hotels. So we are going like by the tourist guide that we had suggesting a place as comfortable but cheap. So we're like, OK, comfortable, but cheap, comfortable, but cheap was basically a brothel, not an official one because he wasn't but basically that's what 80 percent of the customers there were there for and that there was occasionally somebody who didn't know what they were going there for and got a room and whatever i was almost going to crack the joke about which website you were looking at but (laughs) yeah they blend uh, together seamlessly and i was like i I, afterwards i remember you know who the hell wrote this tourist guide that suggests but it was funny because it was um, you know you end up there in the next room there are some Three drunk guys with a hooker, walls made of paper, basically, and uh, cucarachas everywhere, the whole thing. And I remember, you know, nobody was sleeping. We were in the room and just laid there kind of waiting for first light to kick in to just take off and go. Before bullets fly through the wall. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been in a hotel, I think, that's at Oklahoma City one time. Maybe the same paper wall construction. And the guys on the other, God damn it! you know, and, oh, shit waiting for the appropriate moment i guess it's early enough for us to peel
2: on out of here i've been in hotels with the bullet holes in the walls that was always fun yeah glad you're not there that day yeah exactly but uh, yeah this one and i remember i was laying there and muttering to no one in particular i remember saying why the hell doesn't my mom take me on vacation to Switzerland ever? Because, <laughs> you know, her trips were always, like, very Spartan and adventurous. And, you know, I'm 11. I want to be close to a pool with ice cream, hang out in a very mellow, relaxed place. She's uh, out to save the Zucatar Indians who are being oppressed by the government. No, nah, she was just, she's wild and so, like, intense, crazy things. And uh, so that was, uh, on the other end. it was... Um, Definitely, it changes you a bit because, you know, I. it's not like I was spoiled, but I was definitely used to more not that kind of, like the environment was rough in a lot of places. Not quite the Western conference you're you're used to. And I mean, some of the time, yeah, some of the places you go and everything, they are all comfy and luxurious and whatever. Most of the time, also because we're traveling with very little money, not so much. Yeah. And so, um, the best are traveling by bus in Mexico. That was nice. And I don't mean just the in town bus. I mean, the ones that you're on for six hours to go to the other town. Is this where there's a crate of chickens in the front and there's yep. people sitting on the roof and the whole bit. I remember a goat tied to the top of the, uh, of the yeah, bus, right where you should but be? my favorite part was, um, this was about two weeks into the trip. Because when I first started, you know, the first few days, I'm all freaked out by everything. You know, you see these humongous cockroaches down the street and you're like, oh, ah, that's so weird. And, you know, after a while, if you're going to be that way, you're not going to last very long. right? <laughs> so you got to be worried about scorpions, son. The cockroaches yeah. aren't going to bite. The, um, in, the, in the bus, there was inside the bus, this humongous hive full of wasps. <sighs> Big ass wasp where you can count, you know, black stripe, yellow stripe, black, you know, like (laughs) two inches long kind of wasp. You and But by then it's two weeks into it or three weeks into it, something. So I'm kind of getting used to the standards and it's so fucking hot and I'm sweating and I'm just tired and I don't care about anything at this point. And one of these gigantic wasp land on my ear and uh, my mom was like, hmm, I wonder how he's going to handle this. And... I didn't even turn, I didn't look, I didn't... In a Indiana Jones, uh, the scene with the gun and, uh, and the swords, I just used one hand to just crampled it in my hand, this, and just, okay, can we move on, are we there yet? You were was, native at that point. Yeah, because at that point, it's like, you mm. you know, you have to adapt to the conditions, and I thought, hmm, this is actually good growing up experience. It helps... Uh, <laughs> He puts things in perspective, and uh, so the whole thing was uh, not so much that I managed to handle the pyramids well because back then was when you could still climb the pyramids. Like today, it's most of the pyramids are off limits because of erosions of the steps, and the steps, and the are, steps are crazy steep, aren't they? Yeah, man, that was the and a lot of them the mystery of the disappearing ladder or stairs or whatever that is. You go up. And when you look down, the steps are gone because they are so freaking tiny yeah. that it look like it's a vertical wall. And so when you want to go back down, you are like, shit, how am I going to do You really panic. And then they're regularly people who step slightly off the steps and they start tumbling down and that's probably why they closed it. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that was trippy. And, but the trippiest part was going inside the um, this pyramid in Palenque with uh, what they call the astronaut, you know, the guy. Yeah, this the one um, in the chair, the yeah, seated yeah. guy. There's this tale that they say, don't bring watches in there because there's some weird electromagnetic thing. Watches will go nuts. It's not that they break. They will go crazy. So you, it will stop for three hours. Then it will go perfectly for two days. Then it will stop for three days. Then it will. And I was well, like.
1: It's a cosmic rift right there, my
2: friend. You got to be careful with right. that. And I was like, come on, you know, well, whatever. I don't care. Uh, sure enough, went down. So the astronaut came back up watch gone completely insane and i was like okay i guess they were right i guess this is a time when the tourist guide told the truth not the comfortable but cheap <laughs> well you know and then again i'm sure cheap was probably correct and cheap depending was correct. on your level
1: of comfort need <laughs> yeah. that might have been right on the nail too
2: so but yeah it was tripped because i was having this dream and um it was really just floating images from the past and not really embellished all that much. It was pretty much the way it was. And uh, was So your sixth grade teacher wasn't sacrificing people at the top of the pyramid or anything? No, but now that you bring it up, I'm going to try to have a lucid dreaming of my sixth grade teacher being sacrificed on top of the pyramid. Well, and that's
1: when that you one. when you were talking about the steps. Most folks didn't walk down those
2: steps back then anyway. No, It was exactly. only a select few that actually... Please do tell our lovely listeners what, what happened.
1: What the, the dedication of whichever pyramid Montezuma was at, sure. 80,000 people were sacrificed to make sure it had a warm welcome in, like, three days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And they would just chunk their asses. And I don't know how much this is I'm getting from Aztec, which is probably my favorite faux historical novel. Uh, uh, um, but apparently, the people would gather down in a nice chunk of thigh was a well-welcomed uh,
2: treat from the gods and from the from the uh, king up there. Right, yeah, the details are, who the hell knows, right? Because both the numbers and uh, some of the stuff, who knows, because a lot of it is from the Spaniards, so who knows how much they emphasized? They to say, oh, these bloody barbarians, and, you know, make it worse than it was. But the fact that people were getting their heart uh, taken out while, you know, open-heart surgery while still alive and the heart not being replaced... Uh, put it back in yeah that did happen quite a bit and the victim afterwards was thrown down the steps and would roll down the whole thing so it was like yeah those guys were not messing around no they weren't isn't it amazing it went that far yeah they said that they actually had uh, during the war with the spaniards uh, when the spaniards trying to conquer there was one time when the aztecs were able to kick their spanish ass big time they capture a whole bunch of them. And so many of the Spaniards that were fleeing town, they saw some of their comrades being sacrificed on top of the pyramid and change that, your opinion a little bit, that gave them a message about, you know, don't lose the next battle. Well, that's, it, That goes for everything.
1: I won't even get in, but yeah, when the Germans marched across the steppe, right. the sixth army had never been defeated until they were defeated. Yeah. And then it's big time. Yeah. It was pretty, see yeah. you guys.
2: Luckily my, luckily, my dream managed to avoid the, the blood and gore I just had. My favorite part was, really yeah, the dude was taking mushrooms and jumping into the lake with his goggles and swimming with mermaids. That's, and he was real. Uh, yeah.
1: So that's just a fond memory of. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That actually sounds pretty fun, man.
1: As yeah. long as you weren't getting silly with it. And probably those old, what are they, C-note, keynotes, the giant, you know, circular sinkholes that sure. fill with water and There's just that. the purest clear water. That'd be some great mushroom
2: swimming, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some wild stuff. and But yeah, it's funny how the brain, you change uh, attitude about things. So, like I remember things that now, that even now I would probably think twice about it, but after a few days in that kind of roughing it and being on the road and all of that, I remember in that lake, I rem- I'd uh, cut myself and i had a cat on my foot and so i stuck my foot in the water and there were sure sure enough there were a ton of tiny fishes coming up trying to eat up the some of the blood coming out some of the dead flesh and and I thought, well, cool. They eat that flesh. Great. So I left it in there and the fishes were going, nom, 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 nom. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. And it maybe even was. It may have cleaned up the wound. That I've seen, always heard that
1: that exists all through culture. There's some fish that you put your feet in there and they clean them up. But of course, that was, if they're secreting some sort of awesome toxin. Yeah, exactly. That so could have been a whole different trip. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But it puts, I don't know, you, you really take a very different... Approach to controlling things and going with the flow, and uh, you know, shit happens, hey shit man. happens. It's and
1: your folks that came up with the whole win in Rome thing, so. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, in any case,
1: that was that. Excellent. All right. And, and, and next week, I'm going to have my alpha brain update for Dreamtime because uh, I'm going to do some experimentation with Aubrey's uh, magic elixir. So, let's do that. I want to know. Excellent. <laughs> For those of you brave enough, we're going to unzip the digital mailbag and have a look inside. I'm sure there's a lot of pertinent questions ready to be addressed by Mr. Bolelli. What do we got in there today? You have your safety gloves on and
0: reaching
2: carefully inside. What do you find? That one looks spiky. Most faithful um, provider of questions. Oh. Mr. Nicandro Martinez out of Mexico. Yes. He asked about hatred, resentment, anger, Um, what... My specialties. Yeah, exactly. It's like bread and butter, right? His thing is, does that come from uh, a sense of being offended over the fact that life is supposed to be fair to all, or at least to me, and then when things don't work out the way you you want, people don't behave the way you like them to, uh, then you get this sense of indignation of like, what the hell is this? It's supposed to be fair and nice, and that's where a lot of resentment come from. Um, sure, a lot of it. I don't know about everything, but definitely there's a lot of it that is based on expectations. Is based on uh, you want things to be a certain way, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you do expect people to be nice to you if you're nice to them. You do. There are some legitimate expectations,
1: but that—that's that, almost no, That's adult person, more societal. These are agreed upon Right. The way we do it around here. Yeah. But didn't they haven't they done tests with children where even very young children mm-hmm. seem to have a sense of right and wrong? That to take somebody's cookie or all those sort of Right. And I wish I had experimental things to annotate right now, I don't, but I know along the way I've seen this where even a, a very young child has a sort of a sense of when something unfair is unfolding. Which is
2: funny because as he's sort of leading with the question, the fact is life itself, the DNA of life is not particularly fair. Not even close. So it seems to be a human thing that we like things to be fair, we expect things to be fair, we want to work hard to make sure that things are fair and all are very noble goals and I agree with that. The problem is, that's not really the way a lot of life works. Not only other human beings, which you can have a conversation on trying to discuss and convince, no, but look, you're being da-da-da. But some aspects of life just don't respond. And so that anger, that sense of frustration, that sense of why, the, or when it's somebody doing something to you, you get that ego hurting in a way. that like, how could you do that to me? And it may be completely and totally legitimate, the way that you feel that way you may be completely right that why is this asshole treating me this way how can they possibly do that thing and yet reacting or rather indulging in resentment for too long the number one person who got hurt is you and you keep it the longer you indulge in it the longer you let the effects of that initial action linger within you and continue hurting it over and over and over so rather than just getting hurt by the person action once, then you kept keep getting hurt day in after day because that's where you put your mind on. That bastard, I can't believe he did that. Ah, and it's so unfair. And, and yes, you're right. You're absolutely right about all of it. But short of you calling Luca Brasi and uh, having their head chopped off and deposited along with the head of a horse somewhere, mm. then get over it. Not because they deserve your forgiveness, because you deserve not to feel like crap anymore and feel that hatred and resentment and anger because again It's a very weird paradox. It's so legitimate. It's so understandable that you will respond that way Yeah, and it is maddening when some awful things happen or are made to happen by somebody to people who don't deserve it And yet the more you stay in touch with that feeling the longer it hurts you and so as hard as it is putting the focus on let go of it. And which doesn't mean forgive or forget. It may be, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. Well, no, hopefully not literally, okay? So don't get ideas here. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to become uh, turn the other cheek. Uh, oh, sure, by all means, destroy everything I've worked for because I'm the forgiving type because I don't believe in holding on to hatred. Well, I may not believe in holding on to hatred. I still believe in punching you in the nose without hatred. Because otherwise it hurts me, but uh, there's still the action. You know what I mean? There's still this, there's a way to act on things without carrying that emotional baggage for every second of the day, which hurts you, not them.
1: It's a When we did our never-to-be-released movie on forgiveness, uh, we did hardcore examination of Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And they have those cacha trials yep. where if you'll come forward and admit your crime, you... You can be forgiven by the people you perpetrated against, but you are also forgiven by the country so that you can return back to work. Right. And what they find is, yeah, you came and killed my family with a garden hoe that day. But the release it has for the person that's been harboring that anger, Mm -hmm. they said it's like having a fire in your belly that's finally extinguished because you're not carrying this rage with you anymore. Right. And it enables them. And like you said, I don't believe they truly forgive, but the release and the relief. Right from just getting that out and being able to move on with your life. And you know, I can't use it as an act because I'm with you, I'd get the damn stick out and go enact some
2: revenge. And I mean, at the end is, you still have to deal with letting go because the problem is, yeah, okay, you go and you kill the guy you hurt your family, many people will still have the hanger lasting even after the action. It's yep. like, okay, you killed everybody you could possibly kill, now what? You know, you're still- You're on fire, you've destroyed yourself from the inside exactly by those actions that
1: now, and that was sort of the next step of the thing. We went Israeli-Palestine to right. find two fathers in horrible situations. One daughter killed in a suicide attack, other daughter killed by a random rubber mm-hmm. bullet fired from some soldier that was just a, a crazy horrible accident. And both these guys realized that if they aren't the cap on this thing, then there's going to be another 50 generations of people that are going to suffer the same horrific pain. Yep. And they managed to bury theirs, maybe not bury it, but sure. Put that energy into working together right. across the walls mm-hmm. to make things better for everybody, so that, no one else had to suffer.
2: That one is slightly easier yes. because it's not that guy who did it. It's right. somebody from his ethnicity, and so it's a little easier to separate. It's like, well, it's not you. You know, you didn't do it. It's some your government or whatever. So there's still hard, but a little bit easier. I can I can see that. I can picture myself in that. I have a much harder time picturing myself in the Rwanda scenario. I don't, but the point I don't think is, any of us can... no. But the point is still, you need to find a way to get rid of it and not feel it all day, because yeah. otherwise it kills you. It's, it's a so burden. You're like that. carrying it with yeah. you.
1: Might as well be a thousand-pound weight that's yeah. made of molten lead.
2: And in some way, sort of having the Buddhist not expecting things to be fair, and then if they are, it's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> not expecting that there's any justice in life, and when there is, hey. Look at how we worked out. Fuck, Isn't babe, that cool? I get happy when people
1: merge well on the freeway. <laughs> right. Have you ever had that moment? There's like a chaotic merge coming up. And somehow everybody lines it up and the zipper happens. Yep. And you go, I go, you go, I go. And my God, for 14 seconds, that all went really great. And look, none of us had to stop. None of us had so, to pull. Nobody had to flip anybody off. Nobody got shot. So,
2: That's why acts of kindness are so powerful because... They are not to be expected. I don't expect anybody to be kind, but that's why it's such a pleasant surprise when it happens, and why doing that on a fairly regular basis to other human beings is a beautiful thing. Because there's so much of life is very unkind, so that making a conscious choice to go that route and making things somewhat easier in a, you know, providing kindness in an unkind world. That's what being heroic in my mind is all about is having that strength to do that and that's why you know But it really boils down to me like expectations is what screws you up expecting things to be in a certain way when life is not structured away way is a recipe for misery yeah sitting around waiting for life to be fair it's gonna be a long haul right good luck with that but then again when it is whoa Christmas today a minute from now it may not be so let's enjoy it while it's there
1: Truer words cannot be spoken.
2: Cool. On the note of kindness and gentleness, and let's talk about fighting. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can combine the, the two in a quick story. I, I'm at Costco. I've just rung up some obscene bill. Right. Right? Carts are being sent out to my car. And behind me is a very elderly Mexican couple. Right. Some bread, some milk, some creamer. And a couple of cases of beer. I say to the the cashier, I'm sure this will cause you all sorts of trouble because there's no way this could be easy, but I would like to pay for their bread, milk, and cream right. and just put $8 on it and so head it on my way. And she was horrified that she was going to get caught somehow moving money or this or that and the other. And it just became an ordeal trying to do something that I thought was going to be easy. Wow. But I said, Look, you do it and if there's a problem I'm gonna stand right over there in the corner and you can and if it's good and I see them move along, I'm gonna go on my way. But just go ahead and do it. Wow. I'm the customer and I'm (laughs) right. (laughs)
2: that's cool though that's a great uh, I didn't think it was going to cause any trouble
1: man it was just sort of the thing it was like wow I bet these folks would be happy to put the eight eight bucks in their gas tank
2: no but you know bureaucratic systems are uh, scary because anytime you don't follow the rule it's not just those individuals involved it's the bureaucracy that gets (gasps) something didn't behave as it was supposed in the matrix why? It's going to bring the matrix Because Rich down. is around
1: it. Matrix busting asshole Rich is causing trouble. And I'm not doing this to get any sort of pat on the back or anything. This is the way I roll. And I do it over and over again just because it's my little piece to try to like make to... something better for five minutes for somebody is not the worst no, thing in the world awesome. you can do. That's and great. Anonymous is the way to do it.
2: Yeah. The, um, I still think, though, that your matrix busting days may be... I think Agent Smith will be on your tail sometime I'm soon. Sure he already is. Bring so it on. I get my Neo shit out. It'll be
1: trouble. <laughs> trouble for Agent Smith, I tell you.
2: So, the fighting business. um Matt asked me, He's found out on suredog.com about my MMA fighting and asked me what's up with that. Well, so the story to that is uh, the um, saying that I've had two professional fights means being very, very generous. Because think of the lowest conceivable level of professional MMA, go a couple of notches below that, and that's basically what we're playing with. Uh, tiny crowd, if you can call it that, $2 thrown in there, you know, it's like you're talking very little when it comes to the setting, the money, the people, The is really like, it's basically a glorified amateur event. But, you know, pro rules, everything set up, there is Two dollars thrown in there. So technically it's a pro fight. But again, pro fight, pro fight is UFC and pro fight is that. So they're not exactly the same kind of level. Or... Were people gambling in the crowd though?
1: Yeah. No, I think... I think that makes it super <laughs> yeah, official. That's... At that point, you are for real.
2: But then again, gambling is people gamble on their which cockroach is gonna reach the wall first. So that doesn't necessarily make it a professional cockroaching event. That's but true. there is a lot of rules. The, um, but yeah, so technically speaking, I mean, now the fact that. It's the lowest possible level of professionalism there is. Doesn't make it any less scary because the fact is, the dude is the rules are the same. The once the the gong goes and you're on, you're on. You know, it's a fight. There's no, it doesn't freaking matter. So that part of the experience is very very real. Now, in one case, uh, the two matches I had were both in Italy, and I think he was. Um, Part of the game was Italy MMA level was lower than U.S., which made it more appealing to me. Brock <laughs> Lesnar wasn't going to pop yeah. out from the other side. No, I mean, Italy is funny because now also has improved a lot just in the last few years. But <clears throat> even back then, it's like, there's some top-notch strikers, there's some pretty decent ground game there's some no wrestling whatsoever just because in schools there is no wrestling you know you can't uh, wrestle in high school or anything like that so the average skills in uh, taking somebody down uh, is considerably lower either somebody's done judo that's about it otherwise there's no so you find people who are really good strikers they can be pretty decent on the ground but they have no wrestling which is a huge thing because it allows if you do have a little bit of wrestling it allows you to decide where the fight will take place whether you wanna go to the ground, or whether you do get standing up. So having that going for me helped considerably. And it's not like I'm this top-notch wrestler or anything, but you know, I had enough to be better than most of the people I was gonna deal with. And in this case, you know, one fight, again, fight is a big word. One guy really didn't belong in there, skill level-wise. He knew some stuff, he was all right, he had been around, he had tried stuff, but you know, not on. The other guy was good. Was objectively a guy who trained four hours a day, he instructor, that's how he makes his living by teaching martial arts. So, I mean, he's not necessarily a pro MMA guy in the literal sense that he's making his money by fighting, but he's making his money through martial arts. He has been in multiple competitions before. Trains a lot, and the guy was good. You know, his striking was definitely top notch. I thought his jujitsu would suck, and I found out he lied. He had way more jujitsu than <laughs> I expected him to have. So I was like, "Ah, you bastard!" But uh, the thing that made it one aspect that made it a little easier is that he was going up in weight, which is uh, I never had the privilege of fighting somebody smaller than me, so that was quite pleasant change of events. Even because, you know, I'm so freaked out before I fight. Like, the whole experience is psychologically so taxing that I think I'm the only person in the universe who, by the time he fights, he weighs less than at the weigh-in. You know, everybody weighs 20 pounds more because they weigh in and they drink a ton and they dehydrated themselves and all of that. I'm like... By the time the weigh-in kicks in, my stomach closes up. I can't eat anything. I'll (laughs) go to the bathroom 15 times. So I actually walk in weighing less than when I weigh in. But in any case, I was still bigger than this dude because this guy was going uh, up in weight, which was quite helpful because he was. uh, I knew he was okay, but he was better than I expected. So the strength advantage helped. His striking was definitely good stuff. So I decided I wanted no part of it. So, in pure shameless fashion, the second we touch gloves, five seconds of moving around, he threw a low kick. The second I saw the hips moving, I just shot in and took him down. So, no more stand up striking. We're done with that part of the game. <laughs> and then, you know, I kept trying to set up a leg lock, which is my specialty, is what I dig the most. And the dude was just uh, had much better defense than I expected. He, w- he was very very wiry, very. so I realized I don't want to take chances, get this guy standing back up, and no, 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 so I just use a lot of smothering wrestling, just stay on top, trying to pin him down, and eventually pass the guard, got top mount the ref, luckily, was uh, again, there's a conservative referee, and then there's this guy who was three times more, so once I started doing some half-hearted ground and pound, like, do I really have to eat this dude, you know, by that point he wasn't going anywhere it was clear that he wasn't getting out. There was still lots of time on the clock. So I was very happy that the ref decided to call it much earlier than many others would. There wasn't a ton of damage done. There would have been, and I'm glad that we didn't get to that point. So it was, you know, he wasn't going anywhere. His arm was wrapped behind his neck. There was no protecting. So he was done. Yeah. I hit him kind of in a, look ref i'm hitting this guy i could probably hit him a lot harder do i have to can we just say that he's not defending anymore so i mean it worked out well in that sense because he wasn't as it was scary for me as an experience to go through but he's the best possible scenario in the sense that i didn't get hurt the other guy didn't really get hurt he was a good uh, gut check i lie actually about didn't get hurt i'm happy i took this guy down right away because I thought I didn't get hit the entire time I go home and I have a black eye and I'm like how the hell and then I realize he threw one punch from the bottom from his guard and still gave me a black eye Damn. so I'm like okay I'm so glad that I took this guy down and didn't tra- trade the blows with him but yeah, long story short, that was sort of the environment of the whole thing. So, I mean, when I see is like on Sherdog.com as a profile, it makes me smile because I don't really think of it as, you know, to me, a, a professional mixed martial artist is somebody who makes their living through mixed martial art. How many years ago was this? Is, uh, I think it's 2008, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was before Isabella was born. So it's 2008. Or... How do
1: you like how the, how the, I mean, 2008, it was coming to the surface, but it wasn't what it is now. And it's funny you mention, when somebody is clearly pinned down and somebody's beating the fuck out of them, that's the one thing I really don't have a taste for. Yeah. I love almost everything about it, but that's the one I just can't stand.
2: You know, me, I, I never, whenever I've done smoker fights and um, kind of amateur stuff, I've always gone either won by submission or... Or I took a decision twice, almost always by submission, never by pounding somebody through ground and pound. This time, I think I was also freaked out. And I didn't want to take a chance of going for a submission, giving the space to escape. And the fact that he was defending the leg lock so well made me super conservative. And so that's why I was like, really? Ground and pound? That's totally not my thing. It's not my style at all. But I was like, well, in this case, I guess today it is. You know the whole thing, yeah, was um, was kind of funny because again, a real pro is somebody who makes a living sure. with MMA. Uh, this is not, but um, as a hell of an experience in terms of dealing with fear, dealing with the idea that somebody who has been training a ton of time now the bell is gonna go off and they're gonna use every single thing they have learned to try to knock your head off your shoulders. That's an unnerving experience (laughs) that seriously puts you because, you know, it's like you have to be not only are going to be dealing with something scary, but depending on how you respond and the fractions of seconds of how well you respond and how quickly is going to make all the difference on whether you go bloodied and bruised or not. And so there's a lot of that. Talk about performance anxiety, man. It's like that really puts performance anxiety on a pedestal because it's like, yeah, imagine when you're scared to do something, maybe some artistic, amazing event. But now imagine that, like, you have to recite this play while somebody's trying to punch you in the nose. That's what it feels like. You know, it's not just your part, it's not just you have to do a good part. You also have to deal with how the other one is playing his cards and uh, respond accordingly. So, yeah, that was. Uh, even though, again, I laugh at the whole pro-MMA thing of, for me because it's not. I don't laugh so much about the dealing with fear part because that was as real as it got. Excellent. Matt,
1: that's got to do it for you, buddy. Yep.
2: I love you, baby.
1: The gentle tones of our friend Isis Yuskalele only mean one thing to the world, and that is that it's hard as hell raising daughters. It's Isabella moment.
2: Isabella moment. One that came to mind that was funny was she went, when she was a kid, as opposed to now that she's, you know, such a big adult. No, when she was <laughs> tiny, tiny, she was beginning to speak a year, a year and a half, two years around there. Because she spent all day around me, and there really wasn't a whole lot of any other, not too many other voices she would hear. Apparently, she started speaking with uh, English with an Italian accent. And, you know, I couldn't hear it because, again, I can't even hear my own accent. So it was uh, there, other people with an them. accent. I, I know, it's amazing. I don't know, very people slide, tell me, slide but slide I can tell. Yeah, And it was funny because you see this Asian-looking baby who speaks English with an Italian accent. And, again, most of the time, I had no idea. Then once in a while, I would hear something. I'm like, oh man, I heard that. She would go like, uh, I'm like, what color is that, Isabella? And she's like, red. I'm like, yeah, okay, I got that. <laughs> or she would be like, good. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> he was so exaggerated that even I would pick up on
1: it. Asian-looking baby with a tiny accent it almost sounds like some sort of Axis power super weapon was being developed in the mid-40s. It's probably. <laughs> no, but it was funny,
2: man. That was really a trip. Now, um, on, on a more, somewhat more recent one, maybe just the last year or so, we were um, on our way to school and, uh, Isabella was asking for usual Bob Marley song request list, you know, um, Buffalo soldiers and these and that. And then after a while she asked me for two little birds and I'm like, no, sweetie, you know, it's three little birds. And you have asked me three little birds for like days and days, you know, the song, you know, how it's called, you know, what's up. And She explained to me, it's like, no, you know, one of them got shot and died. Oh. <laughs> So after that, we had to rework the lyrics And rather than you know, don't worry about a thing Every little thing is going to be alright We started thinking, worry about lots of things Because every little thing may shoot you dead uh, It's the South Central version Exactly But I'm like, that's so morbid You know, three little birds It's like, no, it's two, one got shot and died Damn So on that note I think we'll, um, what do you think? Shall we roll for one more or yeah. we'll leave it here? We'll roll for one more. Well, I guess that's where it comes from. Uh, it is actually make perfect sense in light of the previous one. Some of Isabella has a fairly no nonsense approach to things. You know, she talks very blunt about stuff. She doesn't have a kid. Uh, let's prettify things and disney everything. And I think part of it, this is a conversation that she had twice in not that long, two different people basically feathered the same stuff and she responded the same way. And uh, she was asking some adult, um, where's, uh, your father in one case and where's your mother in another case. And in both cases, the other person said uh, something along the line of like, um, she's no longer with us. And Isabella was like okay she wasn't here a minute ago how is that she's no longer that just doesn't make sense so he's like so so where is she he's like well she passed away Isabella's like okay where is she you know what are you saying here i don't really understand you and i remember this adult uh, one of them said uh, she's now with god in heaven and you know she kept dancing around this stuff right and isabella one thought about it for a while and she said huh that's weird My mama died because she had an illness that was that, right? It's just like very, very matter of fact in your face. And that's a lot of the times is both, it hits you like a punch because you're like a baby who talks in such blunt terms. But then at the same time, you get this, um, there's something real and honest about it. That is not the bullshit of, uh, you know, the euphemism, the dancing around realities. This is the way it is. Well, she's so little when it all went yeah. down, too, that there wasn't even that time to even build that defense. Exactly. And I don't think I wasn't into... I don't know. I just didn't think it was a good idea to bullshit her. And no. And to
1: start... Are you going to save it for later? We'll unveil in six years that your exactly. mom did not run away
2: with the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Or start making... Because I've heard that before, too. When somebody was started talking about, oh, you know, heaven and this and that, and... Uh, They were talking about all dead people, then you'll see them again after you die, you know, throwing some religious pin on it. First thing Isabella said after hearing that was like, I want to die, I want to die, you know, I want to go see my mom. And I'm like, okay, motherfucker, why did you, you know, why do you have to complicate things in that way? And it's not that I tell her there's nothing, good luck. It's I tell her nobody knows. You know, nobody has an idea, so... Nobody's been back much to report. Right. Some people say that this stuff happened. Some people say that that stuff happened. The only thing that I know for sure is that your mom would want you to be happy right here and right now. That's all I know, you know, and everything else is hearsay. And, you know, what other people tell you, take it into account. You know, maybe they are right, but maybe they are not. And uh, kind of keep it at that. But so that's why a lot of our conversations tend to be pretty to the point and on the blunter end of things yeah it's gonna pay off in spades one day but um you know the bad luck for the three little birds who got one of them got shot and died uh, every every little thing catches you know a
1: a stray every uh, once in a while to the forehead yeah yeah yeah. it's exactly the way bob wrote it originally (laughs) and then his wife was like no 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 what you thinking mom go smoke another right again huh?" I uh, I can feel my Belelli influence is increasing on me because it used to be when uh, a boyfriend would make my daughter cry, I would go for the baseball bat. I've been going for knives lately. Uh, need to watch the bloodshed, but yes. The- well, I'm, you know, it's gonna make a statement. Yeah, that's for sure. I I warn every one of them, and they head out the door. You know, as long as she comes home happy, you're fine. Yep. That's, there are no guarantees beyond
2: that. That seemed like an excellent policy.
1: <laughs> Raising daughters is hard, but it's the best job you could ever love. time everybody so i'm sure a lot of pleasantries about to begin because i've been hip to the fact that this is about a siege and of course i went straight
2: to munster because we've done that in depth but not munster this is one of the biggest what ifs in human history it's been appropriately discussed by a historian by the name of william McNeil in a book entitled what if that it's all about the crazy what if of world history and small things that could have happened turned the way they were supposed to, how it would have affected human history. And this is uh, doesn't get much bigger than this one because this would affect history quite a bit. And yet, hardly anybody knows about it. For one, because the lead characters in the story are named, I'm not making this up, Senna Kerib, and Ezekiah, which is like, yeah, great. That's exactly Rolls what Rolls off the tongue. Perfectly, right? It's what you talk about at parties. Remember when Ezekiah did that thing? It's like, yeah, that doesn't <laughs> quite do it. And uh, it takes us very far back into the past. I actually did talk about this one uh, episode within the books, uh, in the book, 50 Things You're Not Supposed to Know About Religion. Uh, and uh, I had I had quite a bit of fun. I think there's a line right there that say, the tale we'll play with today take us back to a time when Jewish monotheism was still in its infancy and required frequent diaper changes, which, you know, anytime I get to write something like that, I'm happy for the rest of the day. But basically what happens is this. Um, a new Jewish king named Hezekiah had decided he was gonna push a hardcore interpretation of monotheism and uh, as it's frequent throughout Jewish history many Jewish people were less than thrilled with this idea because many Jews were polytheistic and worship several gods at the same time the official monotheistic version was being pushed not everybody was on board in any case this dude was pushing for strict monotheism and uh, he was kind of cracking down on the polytheistic tendency in Jewish society emboldened by the thought that the one and only god was on his side decided to make he really went for a big gamble because he basically challenged the other unpronounceable guy in the story Sennacherib who was the king of the Assyrians at the time and the Assyrians were the top dogs in the area They they had their own micro empire going And they were exacting tribute from all the surrounding people. And uh, Ezekiah decided, I'm not giving you crap anymore. All the money that we've been sending you year after year, my people are not going to pay it anymore. Well, Mr. Sennacherib, again, the Assyrian guy, received this message and is not happy. Didn't take it well. No. Sennacherib was a bad man. Now, there's lively scholarly debate regarding whether a bad man meaning it's a bad meaning bad or as Ram DMC would say is bad meaning good and I'm guessing that that's a matter of opinions you know for the Assyrians uh, he was their fearless kick-ass leader for every other person in the Middle East he was single-handedly responsible for driving up the sales of adult diapers because the Assyrians didn't mess around like most people who rule an empire they don't do so by being polite and shaking people's hands they do it by squashing brutally anybody who doesn't get along with the program so in this case a couple of decades earlier at this time the jewish kingdom was split in two separate kingdoms and there were 10 tribes in one of them and two tribes in another one half so one of these two jewish kingdoms had decided to defy the assyrians and after the Assyrians got done with them, they became known as the lost Tribes of Israel because they pretty much disappear from human history. That's what the Assyrians did. So the fact that this this other Jewish king decide to follow the same model seems a bit s- suicidal. like he's like, are you crazy? Why would you do that? You know it's like the Assyrians at that point they you know with the first the first time around, they had overwhelmed them with superior power conquered their land enslaved a whole bunch of them deported anyone who had decided when they ran out of stick for impaling them along the way then then deported the rest but i mean deported to where that's why they (laughs) that's why they become the lost tribes of israel right they end up somewhere within the assyrian empire and we never hear from them again wow because they essentially lose their specific jewish identity their tribe-specific identity and become part of the Middle Eastern people of the area, And, you know, their version of Judaism, their culture or whatever, gets mixed with a bunch of other cultures <clears throat> and essentially vanish from history as we know it. Mm-hmm. So now we are 10 tribes down, two to go. And the remaining two looks like they are about to commit suicide. They have challenged the various Syrians who had squashed the first half of the Jewish kingdom so that seems a bit insane on more levels than one but I guess Mr. Ezekiah is believing that he's believing two things one, that the one and only God is on his side and B, he believes that he's going to receive help from Egypt this stuff, by the way, in case you're wondering is happening roughly, if I remember the dates correctly somewhere around the neighborhood of 25 to 2600 years ago so big chunk of time in the past in any case The Egyptians decide, you know, we like you guys out there in the Jewish kingdom, but we don't like you that much. You know, are you kidding me? We want to be in the path of pissed off Assyrians coming your way. I don't think so. You deal with it. So now Ezekiel starts sweating bullets because he realized that they may have bitten more than he can chew, particularly when the Assyrian army start their typical uh, rape and pillage show throughout his state, and they destroy one Jewish town after another, after another, usual impaling people, enslaving them, the whole thing. It's a beginning to think, oops, maybe I shouldn't have pissed these guys off. How's he ever going to get out of this one? Yeah, it does not look very good because by now they've conquered pretty much the entire state. The only thing that's left is Jerusalem the capital and all the remaining jewish people are basically barricading themselves inside of jerusalem waiting for the inevitable you know jerusalem is still standing but good luck for how long because the biggest army in the world not in the whole world but in in that part of the world is coming to pay them a visit and has very bad intentions toward them.
1: Well, that can only be one thing. God's going to come and do some smiting. It's been a long time since it's been recorded smiting. Precisely.
2: Smiting is always was popular back then. And, you know, at this time, these guys are freaking out. They understand that they have messed with their own people. And when the Assyrian army reaches the walls of Jerusalem, Ezekiah is trying desperately to reassure his people, saying, you know, God uh, is on our side, God will protect us. Which never mind that God so far hasn't protected the 40 plus town that got destroyed by the Assyrians so far, but also the Assyrians themselves laugh at it. Isn't that what the Munster boys were saying to everybody inside the walls? Right, exactly. Yeah, that didn't work very well either. Yeah, it's... um, The Assyrians tell the Jews, it's like, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because everywhere we go, we are people that their gods are protecting them. And, you know, why don't you go ask them how well they work for them? You can't because they're dead. That's a trick question. I see what
1: they're doing there. Yeah,
2: precisely. So... (laughs) and Zakiya now in full panic mode realize, by the way, I'm probably completely mispronouncing how it would be in ancient Tiber with Zekia, but whatever the hell it's pronounceable anyway, so Mr. H is uh, realizes that he really messed up, and he's trying to make up by throwing a bunch of gold at the assyrians i'll start paying tribute again i'm sorry i'm sorry i made a big mistake here is a whole bunch of money and now the assyrians are like yeah too late motherfucker. we are going to drown you in blood and then we can talk about so they did not lift the siege and they want to um, just squash them teach them a lesson for everyone else who's watching and thinking about not paying them That's what happens to people who don't pay. You know, this is mafia style, right? Empires, it's mafia style on a bigger scale, and that's what it is. Now, the reason why this is a big what-if is because if the Assyrians says bookmakers by now are unanimous in the idea that 99% chances the Assyrians will conquer Jerusalem, destroy the remaining Jewish people, send the the others in slavery, if that happens the way it worked out in the first half of the kingdom, there will be no Judaism left. Because what had happened was Jewish people from the first half of the kingdom had not held on to Judaism because it was similar enough in some of its polytheistic tendencies to other cultures that when it got mixed with them, the hardcore monotheism hadn't sunk in that deep yet. And so think about the repercussions. If you have no Judaism, you're going to have no Christianity. If you're going to have no Christianity, you're going to have no Islam if you're going to have no Christianity, no Islam, and no Judaism, like, try to remove those three religions from the world today. Not only the pra- the religious practice of billions of people will be altered, but you have to rewrite all of the last 2,500 years of history, considering that those three religions have played an enormously important role in world history. In spreading love and understanding. That's all that has ever happened, right? Something like that. But the thing is, and it's about to happen. It's almost a done deal, right? No Christianity, no Judaism, no Islam.
1: So it would've been like tree gods and things like that or very- they, Who the Were hell knows? multiple
2: snow We have no idea, but it wouldn't look like it looks today. That's for sure. So what happens though is that the Assyrians are forced to leave the siege because uh, they start dying like flies. Now, the interpretation, (laughs) those godless historians believe that what happened is that as the Jews had retreated into Jerusalem, since that's a fairly desertic area, they promptly poisoned all the wells in the neighborhood, trying to support a very large army in a foreign land where most of the clean water sources have been poisoned would have been messy. So lack of good sanitation, somebody probably drinking from the wrong place and all of that would have caused an environment very ripe for disease that spread the diseases within the Assyrian army and made it impossible for them to keep up the siege long enough to finish off Jerusalem the interpretation within the walls of Jerusalem is God saved us, we are God's people and God saved us. So the belief in monotheism among Jewish people goes sky high. The the emphasis on we are God's chosen people become way more important than in previous Jewish history And so a lot of this is a very big deal because the the reality is the Jews are not going to remain independent very long. You know, shortly thereafter, a few decades later, the Babylonians will end up kicking their ass. Once the Babylonians supplant the Assyrians as the top dogs in the area, the Babylonians will come in, conquer them, take them into exile. The difference is that by then, this hardcore belief in monotheism had become very prevalent in Jewish society. And so even in exile, they will hold on to it and Judaism will survive despite the exile, which will then give rise to Christianity and Islam. Had it happened before, it would have never survived. And so that's why this event, a case of uh, bad water in the middle of the modern Israeli desert, shape world history in a way that It's impossible to even begin to think how, how the world would be different right now. And uh, the one siege by a guy named Senna Kerib, just because he couldn't find some good water. The whole history of the world is changed. Wow. that, my friend is a wild trip.
0: Wow.
1: Watch out for God. He'll smite you.
2: And you know what I would like to add? Please. Wow.
1: Wow. No, that's heavy. Well, normally we would have our, our, our closing ceremonies here, but um, this is the super secret, special secret episode brought to you by our friends at DHM Depot. And
2: uh, it's all their glory this time. But thanks so much to those guys. Absolutely. This was a awesome idea. Uh, I threw it out there when they mentioned that they were interested in sponsoring an episode. I said, how about we make it a special one? You just guys go solo just for this one. They jump on it. Everybody win. They got sold publicity. Um, we got to chat with you guys one more time, record an episode, you guys get a freebie. This is fun, man. I had, uh, I really enjoyed this process. I really want to thank the folks at DHMDepot.com. Uh, beautiful opportunity to play here. So if you guys are in the market for their product, show them some love. It was a great thing that they did by um, sponsoring this episode. So if you... Bottom line is, if you drink alcohol, you may want to look into it because you get free shipping, money back if you don't like it. It's fairly cheap. You get a discount if you use the code DRUNKT, D-R-U-N-K-T as in Tom, A-O. I think it's all capital letters. You get a 10% discount on the product. So, I mean, there really is. If you guys do drink alcoholic beverages at any point, definitely go for it. I tell you, there's a bottle of red wine out there that could test this shit
1: for me. I just first try. There's nothing that crushes me worse than that.
2: Let's do it. So, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go get a
1: bottle of red wine. We'll yeah. guzzle it down and uh, we'll pop a few of these and see if I can even focus in the morning. And that will be in, man. Uh, forget the FDA. This will be f- truly tested
2: at that point. We'll give be the Guinea pigs and we'll give you an official report down the road. But you may be... You may- guinea pig out with us and uh, join us in the guinea pig experiment and let's see who it works for and who it doesn't in any case thank you guys for listening thank you to dhmdepot.com for sponsoring this and have a wonderful day
1: And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at D Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.
2: I kind of showed you the way, yeah.
1: Oh man, isn't that scary? The thing.
2: Nice.
0: That's Get I- back I- to work.